Well, good morning, Crosswinds. It is great to be here with you this morning as we continue our journey this summer through the Psalms. I love studying the Psalms, and I have loved preparing for this um, weekend's message especially. Uh, my, name, my name is Betty, if, if you don't know who I am, and one of the pastors on staff here. And um, our specific focus today in the Psalms, we've taken different focuses every single weekend. And specifically this weekend, we're going to talk about prayer in the Psalms. And now when I look at the Psalms, I often hear the idea that we're going to pray through the Psalms and we're going to use the Psalms for prayer, but we're going to look specifically at a a particular aspect of that in the Psalms today and then kind of dig into that a little bit and see what it means to us. I want to start by sharing something with you that I read recently that described the Psalms, and I loved what it said. It says, while most of Scripture delivers words from God to man, The Psalms provide man with spirit-inspired words to pray and sing to God. The format and diversity of the Psalms allows them to be used in a number of powerful ways, individually and corporately. And then I love this analogy that this author uses. He says, almost like a Swiss army knife for our spiritual lives. And isn't that so true? Because the Psalms include a variety of ways for us to be able to interact with God. Songs of worship. Prayers of praise, prayers of lament, prayers of acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. We can read through the Psalms and we can learn so much about God, but let's not, let's not forget that we can learn about God, but we can also learn so much about ourselves in our own faith journey through them. So we're talking about the power of prayer in the Psalms, and I want to read one more description that I found that I love Um, how this um, particular uh, sentence describes prayer. It says, prayer is both marvelous and mysterious. And wouldn't you agree? Prayer is both marvelous and mysterious. And when I read that, I thought, you know, it makes me pause just a minute to really consider that in my own life. So I'm going to ask you if you would take a moment this morning to pause with me, maybe leaving behind whatever the frustrations of the morning were. If you're in a household like mine, sometimes they can be bigger on certain Sundays, right? Whatever those frustrations were as you came in this morning. And then maybe also, maybe you've got some great plans for this afternoon. Maybe just leave those on hold for just a second and join me as we journey through this, the Psalms this morning. Because as we clear our thoughts, I am reminded that through prayer, each and every single one of us, think about it, millions of people, even billions of people, each and every one of us on this planet have the opportunity to speak directly to our creator, the creator of the, of the universe. We can speak to him anytime. We can speak to him anywhere. And we can speak to him for any reason, every single one of us at the same time. I don't need an appointment In fact, I can decide to walk into God's presence at any time. I don't need to filter my question because he already knows me intimately. I can discuss a detail with God or I can discuss a major decision that I have to make in my life. I don't have to worry that I am bothering God, right? I don't have to worry with either one of those things. I don't have to prepare my proper words to be able to come in God's presence. I only need to share from my heart the things that are honest and true. I can have a brief chat with God, or I can take hours with God, because he has the time for me. During my prayers, I can laugh, 
I can cry. I can question. I can struggle. I can praise. I can listen and ponder. And during my prayers, I can just be silent in his presence and wait for him to speak. Now I think about that and I think I can't even get a live customer service rep on the phone for something that I might need, right? But yet I can go into the presence of God, the sovereign God who desires to meet with me as often as I choose with no prerequisite, right? No waiting line, I'm number seven or whatever it is. And so I agree, prayer is certainly described well as marvelous and mysterious. So I'm gonna take a moment if we can pray before we dig into Psalm 102 this morning. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to dig into your word and, and to know that it is not on our own understanding that we will grasp it, Lord, but it's because of what you teach us. You guide us and direct us not only to know you, Lord, but to understand how you grow our faith, how you drive us and guide us and lead us to know you better, but also to be able to make the changes that we need to make in our life to follow you better. So Lord, we lift up this morning to you and we ask that you would be the one to speak to our hearts. We ask that our hearts and minds would be open to your word and your guidance this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are gonna start by looking at Psalm 102. And if you're not familiar with this Psalm at all, and there's a lot of them, so it's hard to kind of know where each of them come from. This one was probably written just after the destruction of Jerusalem, or maybe even nearer after 70 years or so, after the people's captivity when they were going to get ready to return. And if you're wondering about this Old Testament idea, what this all means, you can read that through Kings and Chronicles and some of the prophets, but it's great to begin to understand where we come from, our history, if you will. So Psalm 102 is described as a prayer in a time of distress, or again, what what, what we might call as a lament a lamenting kind of prayer. And we don't know the author of Psalm 102, but I'll tell you, we learn a lot about him. We learn a lot about that author through the words that he wrote on that page. Because as we read, we're gonna learn that he knew, I believe without a doubt as I read that Psalm, he knew that the, his only solace would come from his God, that he knew where to turn. And I think that gives us an insight into his Faith, And that's important as we read that particular psalm, that we understand where his faith comes from. Because in humility, during one of the toughest times of his life, this author turned to God for comfort. He turned to God for peace, and he turned to God for hope. All these things that seemingly, in his own strength, in his own eyes, were far beyond his grasp. And his words, inspired through God's spirit, can now teach us. So let's go ahead and dig in. We're in Psalm 102. We're going to start with verses 1 to 4. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered. I forget to eat my bread. Now, how would I describe this man? When I read these first couple of verses, I describe him as destitute and in the midst of a very destitute situation or time in his life. And we know this even further because he goes on several more verses to begin to cry out to God about his current situation, his current struggle in life. 
And again, he's turning to the only source that he knows who will truly understand what he's going through at this time in his life. The only source who can truly give him that rest. Have you ever been that place? I just need that rest, the rest that he so desires. Now, if I provide a little bit of context about this particular psalm, we need to understand that the Jewish leaders at that time, they had never imagined, in their wildest dreams, they had never imagined that God would allow Judah, the nation of God's people, that he would allow Judah to be captured and taken away. And then they would be taken from their home, but their home, Jerusalem, would also be destroyed. The city of David. The city of David would be destroyed. And not only that, but the temple would also be destroyed. The Babylonian army would do it all. They could never have imagined. I don't know what they were thinking as they sat. They could never have imagined that their God would fulfill maybe the promises that he had declared to them. Because it was the people's rebellion that changed everything for them. They were left without a king. They were left without a priesthood. They were left without that temple, meaning they were left without the ability to sacrifice to God for their forgiveness. So now where would they be? What would that mean about their future hope? Instead of resting in God's blessing, they received the consequences the Lord had promised that they would receive if they had chose disobedience. They'd been warned again and again and again, and yet they chose to worship and praise something different, something that they could control. They chose maybe to worship things. They chose maybe to worship prestige. Certainly, they chose to worship self above their God. And the author of this particular psalm may have been experiencing some of the repercussions of those decisions, maybe in his own life, but certainly in the lives of the people around him. But, but what, draws me, um, what draws me into this particular psalm are the next few lines that he shares. We're going to be in verse 12. Because he has cried out in the first few verses, lamented, but he goes on to change his tune as we see in verse 12. He says, But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. So yes, this author may have been broken. And even near the end of his own life. But his Lord, the Lord that he now worships, is eternal. His Lord is timeless from generation to generation to generation. So yes, Jerusalem may stand in ruins, but it is still held dear by the people. I believe because it is still held dear by their God. This land that was promised still has meaning, and the people believe that it still has promise for them in their lives. And the time has come, as was prophesied, for restoration. They had been through some change, but change is coming again in their lives. As I was studying, I came across a quote by the Greek philosopher Heraclitus. Now, yes, I did have to look up the pronunciation of that name, and that's how they told me it was pronounced. So maybe you know Greek philosophy better, but this is what he said. He said, the only constant in life is change. Now, we've heard that over and over again in different ways. The only constant in life is change. And I think we only need to look back at our own lives to begin to understand the depths of the truth of that statement, right? 
Change occurs in our lives. I just don't know what's around the corner for me. I can imagine, but I don't know exactly what's around the corner for me. And I know that even as a believer, I am not immune to pain and to struggle, whether from my own choices, whether from the choices of others, or just because we live in a fallen world. There are things that happen in our lives. But the author of this psalm, we know, was in the midst of some very difficult times. Life had changed for him and maybe was going to be changing again. And so we have to appreciate that he lamented, right? But now we have to appreciate as well that he's going to turn from himself now toward his Savior. Listen as he goes on in verse 15. This is what he knows to be true. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory, for the Lord builds up Zion. In other words, he believes and he knows that that land will not be left in ruin. His people, God's people, will not be left in ruins. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. So he knows that God is listening to the prayers of the people. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. That's all people yet to be created. The people in his future, you and me, and generations ahead of us yet to come. That he, that God, looked down from his holy height from heaven. The Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. And I love that kingdoms is plural here because it's all kingdoms, all people. How can that be? If it's not just God's people, how can that be? Well, we know that it's because of the blood of Christ who would be yet to come, that all people, all kingdoms can be reconciled to God. So the psalmist was writing not only about his current situation, but about a day that was yet to come. Because people, all people, all kingdoms would someday worship God, would someday, will someday bow at the name of Jesus. So yes, the current throne, if you will, was in ruins, but the throne of God in heaven is secure and was secure You know, I think when we look at the next few verses, we can think, wait a minute. The author was kind of praising God and talking about his promises. Does he go backwards? And this is he going back into a lament? But no, let me share with you um, these words at first. We're starting now in verse 23. He says, he has broken my strength and mid-course he has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say. Take me not away in the midst of my day, you whose years endure throughout all generations. In these few verses, the author compares his own life, fleeting as it is, shorter maybe than he would like, to God's eternal nature. And I think he does that because that's where his true hope is, right? It's in God's eternal nature. In all the midst of the struggles that surround him, his hope is in the future that God promises for all people, for all kingdoms, for all generations, an eternal hope that each one of us now, even in this day, can depend on. 
And so then he goes on again in verse 25 to claim God's sovereignty. He says, of old, you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain and will, and will all wear out. They, let me, let me rephrase it. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Consider that. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Now there is prophecy to be fulfilled in those particular words of this psalm. Which brings me to an important note on this psalm. The Old Testament writer is led, remember, by the Spirit of God to experience things, to say things, to hear things which foreshadow the story of another. One to come later, one to offer redemption, foreshadows the story of Jesus. Jesus who would restore, who would redeem, who would offer new life to all, to all who would come come to him, again, to all kingdoms, to all people, those present and those yet to be created, to you and to me and generations yet to come. And we know this because the author of Hebrews takes this particular part of the psalm and he quotes it when he speaks of Jesus directly. So I'm going to read to you that in Hebrews. It's in Hebrews um, chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. But stay in Psalms with me because you'll be able to compare those words as I read them. Again, speaking about Jesus, this is what he says. He says, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same. And your years will have no end. Hope lies in our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who was, is, and always will be. Now we can look back and we can see clearly that this writer of Psalms saw, but he saw it only through faith. For Jesus was yet to dwell on the earth during his time. So we sit here today knowing the next chapter in the story because history has told us and we've got scripture to open up and to read about what we know and what we believe. But this writer knew the rest of the story because God himself had revealed it through the author's pen, inspired through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is revealed and anticipated through these words of faith of a man in one of the most difficult trials of his life, in despair and destitute. And so what do we learn about prayer by taking a closer look at this particular psalm? Well, we know that change is constant. We saw this man go through those changes even within the psalm. And one thing that we must recognize is that prayer affects that change, that constant change within us. Prayer affects change within us. So I have a few points I want to share with you this morning. Prayer begins with humility. We learn that in the Psalms. Humility is an essential characteristic of prayer. Some of the most authentic prayers are those from a child. Would you agree? I asked a child impromptu last weekend, by the way, if he would pray in our presence. Imagine the fear in that little boy's face at first when he heard us say that, right? He agreed, and I'm going to show you a short clip 
of him praying. And I want you to imagine as you watch this particular clip, I want you to imagine him sitting in the presence of Jesus because that's where we are when we pray. Sitting in the presence of Jesus. Imagine the smile on Jesus' face as he hears this little boy pray. As he hears the heart of a child speaking directly to him. No waiting line. Whenever the child wanted to come to speak to him. No appointment. No pretense. And though I tried to make it easy on this little guy, I said, you know, you can just offer prayers of thanks, not knowing what he would pray, because we didn't want to give him any ideas. We wanted him to come up with that on his own. He had something different in mind. Boy, and I don't want to cry when I hear him pray. It's very short. It's very short, but it's authentic, it's humble, and it's honest. Would you just watch this little guy Everett pray for us this morning? Dear God, I pray that you will... Um, help my family go through the rough things that happen with my grandma. I hope that we're, we'll have a good time. And I just hope that my cousins will feel better. In Jesus' name, amen. Amazing, right? What you didn't see on that video is when he was done and we said thank you, he just had the biggest smile on his face. So he may have started with a little bit of apprehension, but in the end, he had the biggest smile on his face. And remember, I asked him for prayers of gratitude, but what did he pray for? He prayed for those around him. He prayed for those around him. And I am just in awe when I think of that. If only my heart could be so pure all the time to pray for others, to reflect God's love and to care from a heart of innocence and a heart of authenticity, the humility of a child. So thank you, Everett, for praying for us this morning and showing us what that looked like. Now, Paul also recognized the need. Yes, thank you. That's good. It was hard for him. He was afraid in the beginning. But boy, I'll tell you again, that smile was amazing. Paul recognized the need for humility, right, as he wrote to us. And he writes this in the Corinthians. And he's speaking of Jesus' words as Paul himself even was praying in the midst of distress about something. This is what he says. He says, but he said to me, Jesus, he's talking about, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Humility. We must come before God in our prayers with humility as we allow the grace of God to rest upon us. My second point. Prayer brings us, prayer in the Psalms, brings us or points us to the sovereignty of God. We saw that in Psalm 102, certainly. The psalmist laments, but then he directly acknowledges the creator, the sovereign one who is unchanging, who holds all things. And so I started thinking about Daniel's prayer. Now, Daniel was a possible contemporary with this particular man when Psalm 102 was written. And he too was one who had been carried away, carried captive, if you will, during the time of the Babylonians' invasion. And his words are reminiscent of the pattern of the psalmist, reflecting their plight and having faith on a sovereign God. Listen to Daniel's prayer. And consider what he knows to be true, who he knows to be true. It's in Daniel chapter 9, verses 18 and 19. He says, oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations 
and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Do not delay for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. God is sovereign in all things. The city is his. The people are his. It is not our righteousness that moves him by far. It is his mercy toward a rebellious people, toward us. It is his continued mercy. And what is mercy? Not getting what we deserve, right? It is his continued mercy that opens the door for our salvation. God's sovereignty, it is without question and should be without question in the midst of our prayers. It is in the midst of the Psalms. We learn so much about his sovereignty there. My next point. Prayer moves us or moves our faith from knowing to experiencing. The psalmist is bold in his claims because you know what? He believes. I feel that when I read the psalms. And it's a challenge for us. It's a challenge for me today to consider that kind of faith, to believe with all my heart in God's power in all situations. There's a story in the Gospels that I think help us see this idea more clearly. So we're just going to look briefly at the chapter, uh, chapter 9 in Mark. And as I set the uh, premise for this, Jesus has just allowed a few of his disciples to witness an amazing miracle. It's referred to the, as the transfiguration. And I'll let you read about that yourself in chapter 9. But the disciples really witness Jesus' deity in a powerful way when they see this happen. But he and those few disciples are now making their way down the mountain And they're together and they're greeted by some chaos and some arguing that's taking place among the people. Because a man has come to find Jesus in the hopes that Jesus can cure his son. The man fights his way through the crowd and he makes his way up to Jesus just so that he can explain his son was possessed by a spirit, he says. And it took his his voice away. He wasn't able to speak. It robbed him of speech, he says. He goes on to say that this spirit threw my son into convulsions. It threw him into the water and it threw him into the fire in an attempt to take his life. The father is at his wit's end and he's turning to Jesus as a last hope. He is turning to Jesus because he doesn't know where else to go and he has heard the stories. He knows. He has heard the stories of the people about Jesus' power and the miracles that Jesus is is doing. He has heard the stories about who Jesus is or in his heart, wondering, is that all true? So he approaches Jesus with a mustard seed of faith. I love that analogy, with a mustard seed of faith. And now we're gonna watch what Jesus does with that mustard seed that he brings. The man says to Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can do anything, did you catch that? Again, he knows what people are claiming about Jesus, but now he's about ready to experience Jesus' power. And this is what Jesus said to him at that statement, again in Mark. And Jesus said to him, if you can, can you imagine saying to Jesus, well, if you can, if you have the power, if you can. Again, Jesus says to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Can we be in both places at the same time? Sure we can. I believe, help 
my unbelief. Grow that mustard seed of faith. He was vulnerable and he was honest. And I imagine it was all he had left within him. All of his hope for his son. And that small mustard seed of faith. Now we read that Jesus did call that impure spirit out of that boy. And by answering the father's desperate plea for his son, desperate prayer for his son, Jesus also addresses the man's other prayer, doesn't he? Help my unbelief. What this desperate father had heard and hoped about the power of Jesus, he had now experienced without a doubt. His prayers for belief, help my unbelief, were answered. You know, sometimes in the midst of struggles, I know what God's word teaches me. I know about his promises. I know about his power and his grace, and he is just, and he is righteous. And I know all of these things. But sometimes it's hard for me to move from knowing to believing with all of my heart. It's difficult for me at times. Is it ever difficult for you? Because if I can't understand something fully, if I can't see the answer that I believe I need to see, do I have enough faith to just trust? Can I rely on Jesus to take it away or to take me through it? Whatever the scenario might be. And so I began to think about that and I thought, we can't have this conversation without considering doubt. Doubt is something that desires to cloud our faith. And it is often a part of our faith journey. I bet it's been a part of yours at times. But here's the truth about doubt. Doubt is not new to God. Doubt is, is not insurmountable with God. We saw that in the man, didn't we? It's not insurmountable with God. And facing doubt, let's look at it this way. Facing that doubt, acknowledging it, being honest with it is an opportunity for us to learn. Like the man and his son, am I willing to acknowledge even to God that sometimes I doubt? Am I willing to see the truth? Am I willing to allow God to change my heart from doubt to faith? Am I willing to acknowledge that and be honest and allow him to come in and make the changes that need to be made? The changes that need to be made from a willing heart. Because we already know nothing is constant but change. So we can choose in any situation to change and walk toward Jesus, even in the midst of doubt. Or we can choose to walk away from him. We have that choice. What do we choose to do? Which leads me to my next point. Prayer's primary purpose is not getting something. Prayer's primary, primary purpose is to know someone. Who, who is it that we can desire to know through our prayers? It's our God. It's Jesus. Even in Psalm 102, this psalm written many years before Jesus' time on earth, he is revealed. The psalms let us use, if you will, I love again that Swiss army knife analogy. They provide songs and they provide prayers and they provide laments and praises, acknowledgement of God's sovereignty when we read them. And if we are open to it, We come to know Jesus through reading those psalms as we pray, as we worship, as we lament, and as we praise God for all that he is. Listen to another psalm, 145. This is verses 18 to 20. The Lord is near to all who call on him. These are promises. To all who call on him in truth. 
He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears the cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. So I encourage you even this morning to take a chance to change and read through Psalm 102. And then listen, because the more that we engage with God, the deeper our understanding of him. And the more that we understand him, the more that we begin to recognize his voice in our lives, the better we will understand his ways. And then the freer we will be to rest in him because it's hard to rest when we feel all bound up in chains. The freer we will be then to be able to rest in him. And so I've asked Dave and a special guest to join us as we close this morning. And in just a minute, Dave will make his way out on the stage Um, And he's going to close us with a song. But I want to share a story with you. I had the opportunity to travel with our teens to NTS camp. We've heard a lot about that, Never the Same Camp. Just last month, Pastor Wendy and I led a small group of our teen girls on one of the nights of that camp. And the girls were encouraged to pray. Of course they would be. But they were encouraged to pray something specific. They were encouraged to pray for those who might be in their midst who might take an opportunity to go deeper in their relationship with Christ, or for some on the trip who might take that opportunity for the very first time to accept him as their Lord and their Savior. So the week goes on. And during our last small group time, after days of worship and teaching, and after days of laughter and days of tears, playing these crazy, ridiculous games that I tried to hide from, These girls in our group, every single one of them, were consumed with excitement as they shared that the prayers that that they had asked in the very beginning were answered. They had been praying for those around them from MTS, for, for, for NTS, what would happen at this camp. And those people that they'd been praying for did recommit their lives. Their prayers were answered. Those that they were praying for who they knew were not sure of Jesus did commit to him for the very first time. And now we are told that the angels in heaven rejoice when one repents. So I got to tell you, as I sat there in that circle and I watched the girls' faces, I watched how they were consumed with that excitement and that joy. They had joy for what God had done for somebody else. When they had that joy, I thought I was just given a glimpse of what the angels experience in heaven. That amazing joy. So I've asked one of those girls to join us as we close this morning. Dave is going to sing a song for us. And Mia is going to pray for us in the midst of that song. Now Mia, who has accepted the opportunity to be challenged, a young teen girl coming up to pray in front of you all again, like our our young um, Everett who prayed earlier. And I'm going to ask you to listen. I'm going to ask you to be encouraged by the worship. But I'm going to ask you to consider and worship as you are led. Maybe you worship as you sit in your seats and you bow your head and you pray yourself. Maybe you worship as you stand and you sing. And you consider the words that are being sung and you consider the sovereignty of our God. Maybe you find yourself on your knees. Maybe you find yourself with your hands raised. Maybe you find yourself with your hands at your side. It doesn't matter how you worship. I think the point is that you worship from your heart. And you worship in a way that acknowledges in humility and in in knowledge, in belief, that we worship a God who is above all things. A God who is sovereign. A God who loves us. A God who is righteous. A God who is just. 
a God who is our creator, and a God who has the time to spend with you anytime, anywhere, and for any reason. So I'm going to ask you, maybe you'll continue to set aside the morning, whatever it was this morning, and to set aside the rest of the day and hold for just a moment in the hands and the loving arms of our God. And if you don't know him, I would encourage you to pray that in honest, Lord, help my unbelief. Allow him to reach out to you and to reach into your heart and to help to affect that change that only he can, that he can only, only he can do in your heart. Would you join me as I close us in prayer? Lord, I do thank you for the opportunity that you present to each one of us to know you. For each one of us in the midst of our struggles, of our joys, of our pains and our sorrows, of our excitement to come to you directly, Lord, no matter the time, no matter the day, you have enough time for each and every one of us. Thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the Psalms that teach us more about you. Thank you for the Psalms, Lord, that allow us to know you better and to grow in you, Lord. Would you guide us even through our closing song this morning as that is our desire on our heart to know you better. In Jesus' name.